think theology's for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. Certain hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, folks. This is Theology Unplugged, and I am Michael Patton, and we are ready to get unplugged today. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you're enjoying our continued use of our retro... Um, retro, uh, what is it? Intro? Intro. Retro intro? Retro intro. That was one Dave Cromartie did a while back, and by popular demand, we had to have that come back. We've got a little bit of old school in us. Yeah, we do. We do. Everything's going retro. We go retro with Theology Unplugged music, and we go retro whenever we start talking about what we're going to talk about here today again. and The bell bombs look nice. Thank They're you. They're a little tight, Thank but you. they look nice. With the Credo They house flare shirt. well at the bottom. <laughs> hey, hey, listen, folks. we got a special guest here in studio once again. Uh, hasn't been that long since you've been no. in the studio. Maybe just a couple of months yeah. since you've heard her, but Lindsay is back with us. We promise... And we keep our promises because we're Christians. That's right. <laughs> and so we promise to have and promise a, keepers too. We we promise to have a woman. We we thoroughly interviewed Lindsay beforehand yeah, to make sure she agreed with everything we say <laughs> and we're gonna say. Even though I don't know what the subject is. Today. <laughs> There was a there was a kind of a uh, different type of screening that you didn't notice. Oh, I see. The retro screening. It's more of a more of a character screening than a content screening. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're coming to you from the Credo House. Hey, be quiet. We're coming to you from the Credo House in Edmond, Oklahoma. And once again, folks, uh, next series. I, I don't know what next series is going to be. Well, I do. No, I don't. But it's going to be a surprise. It's going to be a surprise for all of us, but the biggest surprise will be Sam Storms will be here in studio. And, you know, we may have us all here in studio from time to time, but we uh, hope to have Sam as a regular in studio. Now, if Sam doesn't really work out, doesn't really agree with us on a lot of stuff, we'll we'll try to find a nice way to just have him as a special guest, right? Yeah. yeah. And you're in charge of that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have the hook in my office to right, yank Sam, him off. Sam, I hope you're not listening to this. We're just kidding. <laughs> you rule. <laughs> Um, any other announcements or anything we need to make, Tim? You want to just briefly? Briefly? Briefly this time? <laughs> yeah. Well, so if you want the full version of all that's going on with classes and new programs that were coming out, listen to the podcast from last week because the podcast last week was almost more what's going on than it is uh, about this issue. But uh, all that to say, we have three exciting programs going on. One is Theological Boot Camp, one-day training for everybody, give you the firm foundations of the faith. The second, and that's on July 31st, is our first one, both in the Creed House and live online. The second one is the discipleship program. We'll have both a student version and adult version. That starts the second week of September, 10-week program. Going to be great stuff. I'm well, really excited about that. Do you have any that. idea what our number is up here? Telephone number? Our phone number? Yeah. No, I don't. 748-4288. Seven four eight four two eight eight. That's not our eight hundred number though. Do no, you know no, I don't know the eight hundred. <laughs> well, we don't have our eight hundred number. Well, I guess but we it's uh, on the internet. Four zero. So what's the four zero five? Four zero five. Seven four eight four two eight eight. So if you want to find out all about that, and then of course we have our uh, our signature theology program starting the second week of September. Uh, we'll be both here at the Credo House in Edmond, which please come here. This is a great place. Or we'll be online as well. Great online, live, interactive environment. Cool environment. Think of Skype, but with 50 people in the room and all sorts of cool classroom environment. And then also we'll connect you with scholars as well. So during the 10 weeks of each theology program course, you'll actually be able to interact live, talk with a scholar, 
caller and ask them questions. Special so, guest will call them in, call them up. That's they right. They will be uh, on the phone, yeah. ready to discuss, right? Exactly. And we may even call Lindsay. Well, yes. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm free, I'll, I'll see. <laughs> okay, folks. Well, what we do here is we talk theology. We have a good time talking theology. This is the first time that we've had three people in the studio since uh, back in the day with uh, Rome and Greg Cromarty, so this mm-hmm. is kind of fun. It's yeah. uh Retro. I en- er, joined you guys one time, so that we had four. Oh one yeah, we time. had four. Oh wow, that's right, that's right. And that's when we got really big, and you know, just absolutely. We, we had to I mean, I had to drive band. all the way to Dallas, guy. <laughs> so kind. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we are going to continue our discussion here, folks. We are talking theology. We are talking theology unplugged. We're trying to. Uh, to uh, use this time in a beneficial way so that uh, those of you who are listening, I I hope you get a feel for the issues. I hope you get a good feel for the issues, and I hope that whenever you leave each one of these sessions, you are satisfied because we have not only um, introduced you to the subject, really given you some tools and some understanding of the issues, and we, we hope people are able to make decisions on this. Sometimes it's easier to make decisions than at other times. Our current topic, Lindsay, the reason why you're here, mm-hmm. is um, <laughs> is complementarianism, egalitarianism. It, it has to do with uh, women in ministry, women in the home. Uh, I, I, we've talked about this before, haven't we, Lindsay? Um, I'm, I'm not sure if we've talked about it on here. Seems like maybe we have. Oh, it was a while ago if yeah. we did. I, it seems like I brought you in to talk about this issue one time. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, maybe we did. Yeah. Well, I- anyway, we have been discussing uh, the issues surrounding the different views that are out there whenever you talk about uh, whether or not uh, women and men are different, which everybody really agrees they're different in some sense. But when we're talking about this theologically, are, are, has God... Um, uh, put us in certain positions as men? Has God put women in certain positions as women? Are there certain expectations that women have that men don't have from God? And are there certain expectations that women have that men don't have from God? Not so much just a question of leadership, which that comes into play when we're talking about the church and the home, mm-hmm. but uh, so much more of a question of what has God, how has God uniquely created the sexes in order to accomplish that which he wants to accomplish in his image and in his world? And, Lindsay, you weren't here for the last few times, but we've discussed it, what, four or five times now? Yeah, at four least. Four or five times. And we have talked about, uh, all, we've gone all the way until last week where we defended what is called egalitarianism. Now, if you remember egalitarianism, you've taken humanity mm-hmm. and sin of the theology program, which everybody should have been, have taken by now. But <laughs> if you yeah. haven't, you can start the second week of September. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we understand that egalitarians are those who believe that men and women are positioned in society, in the church, in the home, and by God, according to their giftedness, not according to their sexes. Right. Talked about a lot of great people that are egalitarians, including mm. uh, Gordon Fee, who is a great New Testament commentary guy. And that's it. That's the only one. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> There's a list in your Humanity and Sin workbook. There is. There is sitting right in front of me. But we are we are going to talk today. I want to spend our time the next uh, 20 minutes here talking about complementarianism. Mm. And as we have already said, I'm a complementarian. Tim's, Tim's a complementarian. And that is the position that we hold to. And so we do want to 
by, by the time this ends, uh, have uh, explained and defended, at least to, to a, a satisfaction of an introductory level, the, um, uh, the position of complementarianism. So that's what we're going to do here today, Lindsay. We're going to defend the position. Let me define it once again. Notice they don't have me in here on the other position, only the one that they <laughs> no. believe in. Well, it's the, only, it's the one that you agree with most. I, I didn't want to get you mad. I know. <laughs> okay. Complementarianism is the belief that the Bible teaches, or God teaches, that men and women are of equal worth and dignity. That's key, folks. Don't, don't miss that. Equal worth and dignity. Uh, there's not one greater in the sight of God than the other. However, there are responsibilities that have been given by God to the sexes according to the way he created the sexes. And so there's uniquenesses that are built into the sexes. Now, that's step one. That's just the assumption foundational step. Step two is this, and this is just as important. And if you miss this, you're not really going to be able to follow the complementarian viewpoint. Because of this, because of our belief, because of our theological belief that God has created us different, then we should not only celebrate those differences, but ingrain those differences within society and the church. Mm-hmm. Because you can believe that and just say, oh, let's just let it go and see what happens. But complementarians are, are rather insistent on, on making, according to them, and this is the way they had put it, making the families the way they're supposed to be, making leadership the way it's supposed to be in the church, mm-hmm. and being able to exemplify the image of God best in men and women by a recognition of the way that God has created them. Okay? Mm-hmm. So far so good? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We all right? Yeah. Okay. Let's let's end the broadcast then. Thank you, folks. <laughs> for, okay. Now we need to defend this for a little bit, and and again, we we don't have a lot of time to defend mm-hmm. this position. And please, both of you all jump in, and I'll probably throw some questions at you as we're defending this. But there, there's a few main lines of defense that complementarians will use for this, and they all come from the scriptures. Now, I want to start before the scriptures, though. Okay, and we'll get to the scriptures in just a minute. But I want to start before the scriptures. I, as a complementarian, and I, I want to hear what you have to say about this, Lindsay. I, as a complementarian, am not necessarily, or no, let me put it a different way. Choose your words very carefully. <laughs> I try. <laughs> I, try. I, I am not exclusively a complementarian because of the Bible. And, and I might put it this way. If the Bible was not given to us, or if we did not have these passages of Scripture that talk about this, then you could I would still, still find be a plenty of reasoning to be yeah. a complementarian. Exactly. Well, then like we talked about last week, there would be observations right. from culture that would make you think egalitarian thoughts as well, perhaps. But you would say that, that when I look at the weight of both sides, I'm uh, that complementarian without Scripture seems to be the path I would take. With Scripture makes it clearly the path I would take. Exactly. And as I look at society and as I look at, uh, as I look at families and as I look at... Uh, the way men and women function. Mm-hmm. I just see certain characteristics. Well, and the way their minds work, mm-hmm. the way, you know, it's the physicality mm-hmm. of everything. I mean, mm-hmm. there's very many. I mean, there's the obvious physical. Right. I mean, you, you can start there, and, and you can bring in all kinds of us, uh, objections and say, wait a minute, I've seen girls that are stronger than men. <laughs> and that may that be. That would be me. Yeah. I mean, there's <laughs> nobody I've ever seen stronger than me, <laughs> but I've seen some kind of wimpy men right over there. <laughs> 
but I have. How many years of rugby did you play in college? <laughs> <laughs> so we, we have got a, a manliness in the sense that uh, we have characteristic in our physicality. Mm-hmm. And that is a general characteristic. Okay, well, I'll give it that. Well, not even speaking of strength, we could just say clearly there's a difference physically in the sexes. Yes. A clear difference in the sexes. Sure. At, at a zooming out furthest. You want to get real detailed? <laughs> No, well, what I'm just saying is that that we can say that there's a very big distinction between the sexes without even talking about strength. That's right. Okay, that's good. Nice way to put it. That, that wasn't very unpleasant. That's fine. You're, you're getting acclimated. No, it was very unpleasant. You mean I should say... No, no, no. Men have a beep. Just as a disclaimer, we are self-censoring. Yeah, that's right. Okay, listen, listen, folks. Um, we, we've got a physicality that is different, but we, we've also got an obvious strength that is different within men, generally speaking. And my point is here that the exceptions do not provide the rule. You know, you don't go to the exception. Say, wait a minute, I've seen this girl that uh, mm-hmm. is this way, or or even whenever you have these kind of sexual deformations, what are they called, hermaphrodites? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whenever you have that, and you say, what about them? What do you do with them? Yeah. You don't judge your your general characteristic stance on something based upon exceptions. If you do that, I mean, you're just never going to take a stand on anything. Right. Mm-hmm. You'll always be bound to the least common denominator. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even then, then it's kind of silly because you've self-defeated your own position because, wait a minute, there's exceptions to that. Right. So my point is, is that there are general characteristics within men, the way they are physical and, as you said, the way that they think between women. There are certain things that women, without even looking at the Bible... Women are going to be much better at than men. And there are certain things that men are going to be mm-hmm. much better at than women. Mm-hmm. That's where the complementarian position has a, a, a philosophical or a um, sociological foundation as well, not mm-hmm. simply a biblical foundation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when we look through the Bible, the Bible seems confirming of things that we already live with every day. And that's why I think throughout all of history, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm not, of course, you can bring exceptions, okay? Mm-hmm. But throughout all of church history, you have had the church readily accept the complementarian viewpoint. Right. That mm-hmm. That's... That's the point number one I want to make, and if you guys want to jump in and say anything, feel free to. Well, I just think, like from a from a from a viewpoint, is to say that because of these observations of men and women, it's not like because of those observations, therefore men and women should be this way and have these roles. It's saying because of how God created people, He created us with these for these roles with these differences. So it's not like we just sat back and said, hey, because I am maybe stronger, therefore I should be the leader. But it's God saying, I'm making you stronger because you're the leader. Well, if, if you, if you say, sense. I'm stronger, therefore I'm going to lift this up for you. Mm-hmm. Or there I am taller, therefore I'm going to reach to grab this. Mm-hmm. And if that's a characteristic thing that goes on, you see that being built into societies mm-hmm. in the way that they work. And we're going all back to creation, saying God is creating things with this in mind. Yeah, but I'm leaving God out of it right now. Oh, sorry. Because I'm very unplugged. <laughs> Sorry. I'll try to not plug God. That, that, that's the first characteristic, or that's the first kind of, kind of, I guess, parenthetical introductory thing that I want to say. The second thing is this, and this is very important too, when we're talking about this issue. Abuses exist. Mm-hmm, okay? Right. Mm-hmm. Very bad abuses exist. Mm-hmm. In the complementarian viewpoint, or in, let's put it this way, a patriarchal viewpoint, or a patriarchal right. viewpoint, where um, 
men suppress women, mm-hmm. where men do not recognize women for what they're supposed to be recognized for, where men domineer, mm-hmm. where men abuse authority. And so you have that throughout all of history. Mm-hmm. And we can bring up example after example, society after society, mm-hmm. and be able to use those and say, wait a minute. Since there have been these problems, therefore, the solution is to get rid of the belief that has caused these problems. Mm-hmm. And I don't like that either. That's very problematic because you are determining truth based upon our sinfulness and our right. sinful abuses. And so... I mean, it's kind of like uh, talking about Christianity and saying, well, Christianity's wrong because it's been oppressive in the past. Mm-hmm. Or people have forced people to trust Christ. Right. Or the Crusades. Or burning of heretics. Or burning of the witches. We can go on and on, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Of things that uh, were wrong and at least were said to be grounded in the scriptures and in the Christian view of God, yet we don't agree with. So uh, complementarians need to get that out of the way up front because those are the main objections that will be brought emotionally to right. the table. And I think the sense that that we say that there there are going to be abuses and that we condemn those abuses, that, that those abuses are not the design that God had for complementarian. So God did not design a, a man wearing a wife beater beating his wife and Why was claiming wife beater I, I'm not I'm wearing a, a full t-shirt underneath not a wife beater t-shirt so so but to, to, to acknowledge it and to condemn it of of a false way of living out the complementarian view and I, I think the complementarian view has that built in um, we if if you truly are a complementarian you celebrate the diversity yeah. you celebrate manhood and you celebrate womanhood yeah. you instill that in society in your family in the churches and in that celebration there will never be abuse of such a thing yeah so uh yes you're you're right so having started there i want to go through a few parts of scripture that i think stand out with regards to complementarianism and um and use this, and I'm not saying that each one of these standing alone, that's something we've got to realize. Each one of these by themselves is going to be anything that would be ultimately convincing. But like so many other things want to be argued from the scriptures, there is the accumulation of the data or the evidence that makes it ultimately persuasive. Um, one of the first things that I look at, uh, that I've spoken about before when we're talking about complementarianism is that the Bible illustrates male leadership from the very beginning. I mean, you start in Genesis chapter 2 and you see the creation of man. And you see man has created first and then woman being created from man. And whenever you have that happening, you still have in the narrative itself this this idea that the male has been appointed in this circumstance as the leader and as the one who is in charge of naming the animals and mm-hmm. and telling the one of you name an animal it's it's given charge over the one where God said name the animals he didn't say hey I've named all the animals let me tell you what the names are mm-hmm. in saying I want you to name the animals there was something to that as far as the leadership and authority over the animals. A mm-hmm. uh, better way to put it would be responsibility for the animals. Mm-hmm. But whenever 
Eve was created, it was kind of the same type of thing, except for, obviously, she was created from him and therefore his equal. And so being created from him is not another animal that he created or said, let me try again. You know, I've tried with all these animals and none of them have worked. Let me try this one and, you know, make Isn't that what he did, though, in the bathroom uh, sign says? What's that? That God created man first and then... He got smart or something. He had a better idea. <laughs> yeah, better idea. Yeah. No, that's in the bathroom. That's in the awesome. women's restroom. <laughs> somebody pin that up there, and nobody will let me in the women's bathroom to get it down. <laughs> um, now, and a couple other things that happen that's very interesting in the early narrative of Genesis is that after the fall, I mean, we we can talk about this. There's so many things that we could talk about that are like little side things, like like uh, who did Satan go to first, and and why did he go to her? And I, I just want to leave that out for now. It's it's interesting, mm-hmm. but uh, I do think it's important for us to recognize that after the fall, mm-hmm. whenever God comes to man, he approaches Adam, mm-hmm. and he says, "Where are you?" You know, and and is asking for Adam. That is kind of the responsibility there is falling upon Adam's shoulders. Now, once again, this gives no indignity at all to women, any more than there's indignity to, to uh, someone who is, in, uh, who is a, a subject to a king. You know, the, the king is the person who is in an authority, authoritative position, but the subject has no less dignity in God's eyes. I'm not saying work. <laughs> You're such a humble man. Yeah, yeah. Well, my hat, whenever I take it home, it yeah. says I am the king of this house. So. Nice. Yes. But it never works. Yeah. Um, Very shortly thereafter, it gets thrown I, off the stump on. I didn't bring you in here for this. So, so Ad, God approaches Adam first after the fall. That's significant, I think. Um, also, whenever you talk about the leadership throughout all of the Old Testament, okay, and I know we talked about this last time, and there's counter arguments to be made, mm-hmm. but all of the leadership all throughout the Old Testament is are men. Exceptions such as Deborah, mm-hmm. the judge, mm-hmm. uh, come in is kind of an odd thing and almost an indictment upon Israel because of their lack of leadership. Well, and that story does. I mean, it has her saying. You need to step up here for me to actually go. I'm not going to go by myself. Yeah, yeah. And, and so you have this uh, throughout the Old Testament, a characteristic of male leadership. And then in the New Testament, you have the same type of thing where it's characteristic of male leadership. While at the same time, I grant, like we talked about last time, and I don't mm. want to get into it, but I grant that there is a redemptive process going on for women in the Old and the New Testament. Mm. While the culture treated them worse the Old Testament, the New Testament comes in and redeems them and continues to redeem their role. A, a redemption of worth, of worth and of uh, dignity. Uh, made in mm-hmm. the image of God and all this worth. Of role. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. A, a redemption of that, but, yeah, a redemption of that, but, but with a, the same view though that there's, there are different. So it's not a redemption towards the same absolute where you can't it's not, it's not redemption towards, towards egalitarian it's redemption towards being all that you have been created as complementarians to be exactly exactly and here here's the thing and i want you guys to recognize this those of you who are listening and both of you here because uh you guys really need to recognize this as well <laughs> um listen to the curse whenever the curse happens upon the woman he he says to her um, that uh, a couple of curses, which are really, which are really things that you want to think of whenever you think of sinfulness or the fall, but pain and childbirth, 
right? That's, Definitely. That's one. But he also says that your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. Now, I look at that as one of the foundational points that you've got to understand in this debate, especially if you're a complementarianism, or to understand the complementarian viewpoint. Mm. Because what happened at the fall was in the sexes, in the foundation stones of society, male and female, you suddenly have a battle that ensues. Mm-hmm. And this battle is, uh, is a curse upon the woman, yes, because he's talking to Eve, but it's also the curse upon the man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because he says, your desire will be for your husband. And, and this is kind of a, a desire. It's used, the, the, the next time we have the same word for desire used, it's used of, of Cain whenever God is talking to him and he says, Cain, your the sin desires you. Okay, it's, it's this idea of wanting to grab a hold of, wanting to take control of. Your desire will be for that mm-hmm. in your husband. And I take that more as a male, female to a male. Female, you will desire now to take control of mm-hmm. male. Uh, but, and he, here's the big but, which is very important, he will rule over you. Now that is part of the curse as well. Right. <clears throat> and the word there for rule is not a pretty term. It's not a term that's positive, like he's going to you know, rule over you and, and he's going to try king. to be good and you know, take <laughs> care of you. It's better. I think it's. I think it's better translated dominate. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so he will dominate you or domineer you. Mm-hmm. And so now what we have is this battle that ensues, where women and men, neither one of them, recognize the dignity of each other. Men have an overinflated view of themselves. Women have an underinflated view of themselves. Mm-hmm. Women now characteristically throughout societies are going to have this kind of idea that, hey, I'm not really as good as the male. Mm-hmm. And males go, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know? And what have you seen throughout all of society? Yeah. A, a, a non-recognition of the worthiness of women. Therefore, because of that, and this is, I, I think this is because, because of this non-recognition, the woman feels as if it's her time to take this place of the male. Well, Let's let's move towards equality mm-hmm. to where equality means this sameness, right? And then the complementarian position comes in and says the reverse of the curse in families and in society is a mutual recognition of the values of each other. Mm-hmm. Men, and this is key for men. Men have to begin to recognize. You want to overcome the curse, you want to overcome sin, you want to be redeemed in Christ, you want to get to the point where it's supposed to be, what it's supposed to be like, and what it's going to be like in the new earth. Recognize the value of women as being of equal dignity. Recognize the value of women. And women, at the same time, recognize your own value. Mm -hmm. And I'm Mm -hmm. telling you this right now. You need to start recognizing your own value. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Got no Lindsay does. There. <laughs> Lindsay has uh, accomplished redemption completely. <laughs> and I recognize your value. So me and Lindsay sit here as examples of, exactly. of those who have overcome that us. part of the fall, at least. Mm-hmm. Well, now, can I bring Jesus into this? No, or you said on. I couldn't bring God. No, okay. <laughs> I, I'm already with God right now. Me and okay. God are, are doing well together. Yeah, well, and I would say the the addition of, of redemption in the cross is that, that through Christ these things are possible. 
you know, that th- th- that the fall is still inherent in us of, the, of that desire to to either dominate or or for her to dominate us to take that control and to say that both of us have to be you know through Christ as the strength to do these things and and to to be able to do this to have it the way that it should be and it was designed to be. Well, you're the real pastoral guy around here. Tell me, you know, what does this look like in between the relationship today of a husband and wife? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, Ephesians 5 is definitely one of the, the huge passages of that husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. So even though you're a leader, you're a servant leader. And the greatest servant leader is Christ. And so what it means for a man is if you are either you're giving up that authority that God has given to you and designed for you to have by, by living on the couch and by letting your wife discipline the kids or all of that stuff, uh, discipline in that sense of, of just... I wish uh, my wife would discipline yeah, a little bit more. Yeah, more yeah sure. well, well, in that sense of uh, basically giving up, giving up all your responsibility. I guess I would say giving up your responsibility in the home and in the family because you're on the couch, you're at the computer looking at whatever. Or so that that is passivity. Or you go the other way that you are dominant, where you think, well, my role is that I have everybody under my thumb. I'm I'm a tyrant. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not Christ-like. And so, so one man will fall in the passive mode. Another man will fall in the tyrant mode. Both are, are, are not in the, what is designed as complementarian. The, the man is not stepping up as a servant, stepping up as a leader who's saying, follow me as I follow Christ. So it's, and then with the woman saying that you're either, well, pr- predominantly with trying to take control. You're trying to take place of your husband because you can say, I need to be the leader because my husband is a jerk or I need to be a leader because my husband is on the Internet all the time. Then with the wife to say, uh, you know, what you need to do is patiently follow Christ and patiently pray for him and, and patiently be the one who who is looking for every chance to lift him up so that he can get a feel. Because, I mean, there are many marriages I'm aware of that I think the woman would do a better job leading than the man would when I just look at the two. I'd say, well, she's a natural leader and he is not. But by her trusting in Christ and walking with him and by him trusting in Christ and allowing her to, to give him the room, they are serving each other. They are loving each other. They are having distinct roles and i believe that that by both of them doing that then they're being most fulfilled because and, and, you know i think they can delegate i think you can delegate right. yeah well. oh delegate definitely responsibilities and that sort of yeah stuff. so it doesn't mean that you're doing everything and they're doing nothing or whatever but it means at a, at a leadership at a responsible level really you're taking responsibility for your family well I, I just remember growing up mom always saying all the time you know grow up and be a man Right. And I never really knew what that meant, you know, <laughs> but I knew I was doing something wrong. You know, I was acting like a baby or something like that. And, and I think what we're saying here, what you're saying, is that men need to grow up and be men. That's right. Need to take responsibility for that which they are responsible for. Women have responsibilities as well, lots of responsibilities. And women need to understand that that role that they play, that that nurturing role that they have, and People get so upset whenever I'm talking about this issue and I bring up the word nurturing because they, it's just like, ee, you know, scratching mm. on a chalkboard to, mm. to look at people's faces because that is the thing that I think 
we don't recognize as men enough is how valuable it is. Yeah. Right. Well, and I believe, I mean, I would even say, this probably sounds weird, that my wife nurtures me, you know, that, that she builds into me. She allows me to be the leader that I need to be. And that means that in times of doubt or in times of adversity, she is nurturing me by, mm-hmm. by, by being, she's got my back. Mm-hmm. You know, she's my biggest fan mm-hmm. because I'm her biggest fan mm-hmm. and I'm serving her, but I am, I am rejecting that passivity and I'm stepping into it. And I think what some men think of when you say, well, be a man, some think, well, that means be a tyrant. Mm-hmm. Well, but being a man is being man enough that, that when you're confronted with your selfishness, when you're confronted with your anger and things like that, you take it to the cross and you let God deal with you there and change your heart and you don't take it out on your wife because then you're an example to her too and you're taking leadership of your spiritual family. You know, of your your family spiritually as well as physically, mm-hmm. and and I think that that whenever we're functioning within these roles, you have a a the image of God finally being represented the way that it's supposed to be, and I, I that's what we're trying to get at. Now, there's a lot of other passages of scripture. We don't really have much time to go through very many of them, but whenever we talk I don't know about, if we have time to go through any of them. I'm okay. <laughs> so when we come to passages, and I, I want you to, I want to notice this because we've already talked about this before, and talked about the um, the significance of this passage and the difficulty that uh, the other position has in dealing with this passage. But Paul says to Timothy, "I do not allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man." Now, granted, we must understand that this is in a church situation that he's talking about mm-hmm. this at right now. Uh, but to remain quiet, for it was Adam who was created first and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Now, I can stop there and I can say, what does that mean? Uh, is it saying that women are more easily deceived than men? And I don't really see that. I mean, practically speaking, I'm not really sure. If the Bible mm. is clear on that, that's the case, you know. Mm. But I don't think you have a difference in functionality in the mind. I think it has to do, once again, with regards to the leadership and the responsibility. And whenever you have Satan coming to Eve, you have Satan usurping the authority of man, in a sense, mm-hmm. and, and acting as the man, telling Eve what to do. Mm. And you have Eve being a person who, in her, in her, uh, in her nature as a woman, is is more is less let's I, I hate using this word because it's not really what I mean exactly but less uh, aggressive less combative less with the ability to uh, face up to these types of problems that they're supposed to mm-hmm. and men are more like that more aggressive more combative more ready to take control of situations to where there is a a confrontation mm-hmm. you know whenever confrontations arise it's you no know, we don't push the women into the fight and say here right. go get them mm-hmm. you know men go into the fight and we had a fight going on here right right mm-hmm. and eve i don't think he's saying eve is weak i am think he's saying that wasn't her role you right. know mm-hmm. it wasn't her, her her within her ability to be able to stand up the way that i have made her but you should have right and so we have that situation. And so therefore, whenever he doesn't want people to teach, men to teach, here's what I hear him saying is that teaching the Bible, not teaching anything. I mean, women can teach math and everything else just as well, history and, and science, whatever, just as well. But whenever it comes to the uniqueness of theology, whenever it comes to the uniqueness of spiritual truth, it is combative. 
there's a combative nature to it. There's a spiritual warfare going on, and there is a sense in which this must be, we must be aggressive in different mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. And I think Paul's talking about preaching here. I think women can teach theology or teach Greek just as good as a man. Mm. But whenever it comes to in the church where there is a constant uh, uh, pastoral preaching, proclaiming, and sometimes combative nature of uh, of the truth that men well, are... Well, the authority that you hold over the church as well. You know, I mean, the the position of authority where you'll have men and women all coming to you to ask you, well, you're, you know, as a woman, you're not, again, that combative type. You're mm-hmm. not the one that mm-hmm. should be in that role. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying women couldn't do that. Right. I mean, mom could do that very well. Yeah. <laughs> 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 okay, now, having said that, listen to this. I, I think this is great. Most people, I don't think, really get what Paul's saying here, and I got it. Okay, so listen okay. up. He says, but, contrasting this, contrasting what I just said about Eve, but... Women will be preserved or saved, not saved in the ultimate sense, like salvation, but saved, saved in contrast to what? In contrast to what I just said, that they can't teach, but let me tell you what they can do. Through the bearing of children, if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Now, I think what Paul is saying there is not simply all women, if you're not bearing children, you are not fulfilling your role Mm. and you know men are fulfilling their role whenever they're out there doing this but you guys have to bear children but i think he's referring to the nurturing Mm -hmm. aspect of Mm -hmm. woman you will be saved you will find this is the way i'd paraphrase it but women will find their dignity Dignity. through the nurturing of the world or their Mm -hmm. joy too perhaps but if you continue in love sanctity and self-restraint faith love Mm -hmm. and sanctity and self-restraint if you are doing this to the fullness what god has provided same thing with us Mm -hmm. so uh, uh, you know briefly we haven't covered all of the issues but complementarians see differences Mm -hmm. they want to celebrate these differences Mm -hmm. we know these differences can be abused Mm -hmm. we're not going to put our arms down though simply because there's the possibility of the abuse we want to be able to preach and teach and uh, uh, proclaim God's word with faithfulness understanding that that there is a right way to do things Mm -hmm. even though there's wrong ways out there we done? I guess so alright well I'm glad to have you Lindsay I was glad to be here yeah, thank you very much. We'll have you back sometime, Tim. Great to have you again. And uh, we'll join you next time in the studio here at the Credo House as we, uh, I think, maybe next time we'll have Sam Stillman, but we may do one or two more. We could, if we get the inkling. Okay. And feel free to email us as well if there are certain topics that you're just dying to hear What's us talk about. Theologyunplugged.reclaimingthemind.org. Uh, That's right. Email us. Thanks, folks. Goodbye. You have been listening to Theology Unplugged. Visit our iTunes page by searching Theology Unplugged at the iTunes Store. All episodes are available as free downloads. These broadcasts are made possible by Reclaiming the Mind Ministries. Reclaiming the Mind Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. If you enjoyed this session or benefited from it in any way, do consider partnering with us. For more information on how to become a ministry partner and for a complete listing of ministry resources, visit our homepage at www.reclaimingthemind.org. Thanks for listening, and God bless.